This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, I am bringing someone who is long overdue to the show. Rex Galbraith is the Chief Revenue Officer for Consensus. Consensus is the undisputed heavyweight champ in the world of pre-sales software. Salespeople and sales teams of all shapes and sizes worldwide, and I'm talking about the biggest, most iconic companies to the newest, fastest-growing companies all around the world, they all rely on consensus demo automation to reduce wasted demos and to eliminate demo wait time by creating this on-demand demo environment. Teams using consensus shorten sales cycles by over 65%. And we've all heard it before. And if it's true, if time is a deal killer, then you can understand immediately why consensus has been so important to so many sales teams worldwide. Rex has built an environment that's led to an incredible success story. The environment he's built has also attracted some incredible sales talent. And all along the way, Rex's work has turned tons of heads. The growth of Consensus has been amazing. Triple-digit growth. Some of the most talented people joining the team. Customers who rave about their experience. Number one on G2 and RepView recently listed them as the number two software company to work for. So... In, in addition to all of that, he's helped create a legit category after tons of hard work and patience. Uh, I can't wait to hear more about that. And, and Rex, he was there for all of it. So his story is awesome. If you can't tell by my energy, I am pumped to have him here. And when you get done listening to my conversation with him today, you'll understand why he's had so much success and why I had to have him on my show. But more important than all of that, more important than all the success and all the accolades, Rex is one of the great human beings I've had the privilege to meet. And when I think of someone with the most honesty and the highest integrity, it's Rex. And that's one of the main reasons his success story and the blueprint he'll share today is so important for me to share with you. I am so pumped to have him join me. I cannot wait to get started. Rex, my friend, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for the kind intro. I really appreciate it. And I'm really glad to be here because I've heard so many good things. So I'm excited for the topics we're going to address. Well, Rex, this is going to be one of the good ones. And and uh, the good episodes on the show go fast. And we're going to be saying we're out of time before you know it, brother. So let's get after it. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and what you uh, you and Consensus do for your customers? Yeah. So Rex Galbraith, as you guys just heard, I've been in sales for about 16, 17 years. And I joined Consensus back in 2016, so I'm just on the seven-year mark. And what we do is we provide pre-sales software uh, and demo automation software. Uh, the world is changing, and buyers are dictating how sales go. And our job is not to just enable salespeople 
but to enable buyers. And so our goal is buyer enablement. I love it. And one of the cool things is lots of people talk about category creation, and we both know how hard that is to do. You've actually done it. You guys were a first mover in something that now is a category that's emerged that's covered by like G2, for example. And and uh, it's not just something that is used here and there. It's it's a key, key part. Uh, some of your customers are some of the most iconic customers in the world. And and it's been fun to watch this emerge as like this, this it's a legit category now. That's kudos, man. Very few people actually create a category and you've done that. Yeah, it it. it... It's an amazing thing. You know, at the beginning, I don't think us, we knew that it would become a category, but I think the the industry told us that that's where we needed to go. And we we made our changes. And, uh, you know, now uh, it used to be we were the first pre-sell software that dedicated itself to pre-sells. And now, last I counted, there's over 25, 30 softwares. Wow. And there's been a ton of funding in the space. And uh, I don't think it's going anywhere. It's much bigger than what consensus is. And so we have a lot of room to grow uh, and room to make up to make sure that we continue to be the leader. All right. Last question before we dive into our topics for the day. I, 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 I've been I've, I've had the chance to work with you like we were colleagues and and I've I, I've loved what you do. How'd you get started in sales? Though? I, I, I we've been doing the show for almost five years. and I'm still looking for the person that I grew up thinking I was going to be a salesperson when I grow up. How, how'd you land in the sales? So I have that classic story of warehouse manager to sales rep. Uh, um, Let's go. So what happened was I was looking for a job. Uh, my sister actually started a scrapbook company and said, can you work in the warehouse? And I said, sure. You know, I'm a starving student. I need some money and worked my way up to be a warehouse manager and pushing paper into bags and helping people get scrapbook before it went digital. And, uh, the people who sold us the software, the sales leader said, I think you could be a salesperson. And he told me that the pay was $36,000. And I said, done. And then he said, I didn't even tell you what the variable was. Uh, you get another 10 <laughs> K on top of that. And so I was Let's like, go. I would have done it for 36. And uh, I went, he mentored me. Uh, and that first year, uh, Closed a little company called doTERRA. And now that account is their biggest account. Wow. Uh, that, com that company actually, doTERRA actually acquired the company I sold for and brought them in-house. doTERRA is a multi-billion dollar company. And so I got the taste of what a commission felt like. I, I showed my wife, here's the our check and here's another thousand dollars. And I went, as soon as I felt that, hey, if I work hard and I do something, I get immediate reward. That was very appealing to me. And then I just started going through different roles and eventually made my way to where I am today. And I just fell in love with sales. So it was a love story that was unexpected. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's always fun for me to hear the stories on how these great leaders got started. So, so let's get to your story. Let's talk about what's happened at Consensus. You said you've been there for seven years and you've seen it go through all kinds of different stages to where you are now, where things are really, really exciting. Um. Your success story and the success story of consensus is not a happy accident. And I'm doing my air quotes over here for those people that will get the video in Sales Leadership United. I don't believe in happy accidents. I just don't think that that happens in sales. I think that we have to be intentionally successful. Your leadership has been a really important part of going through a mode where you were surviving, but now you're in a mode where you're thriving. And so I want to talk about that. How do you I know it's fat. And so let's let's just start. You have to create an environment where people, if they're in that mode of survive, we can. If in that mode, we thrive, we do that. What in your mind goes into building an environment where people can thrive? So I, I think at the end of the day, winning fixes all problems. Uh, winning and and having success. You know, there are moments where you will not be winning, where you will be losing but it's it's the long-term play so just to give you some high, some insight when i started consensus this was my first time leading a sales team we dropped in sales every year for three years and so while wow. some people think wow. that we are <laughs> while some people think that we're like an overnight success it only took us seven years to be one um and uh, uh it was we stayed firm to what we believed and we didn't flicker when that came. And I, 
I think not only is it winning, um, we really follow a book called The Speed of Trust. Stephen Covey's son wrote it. And what I've learned is there will always be challenges and weaknesses and strengths, but as long as you trust one another, you can move at a pace that will out-innovate everyone else. And and I'll give you an example. Um, The year that Dream Team didn't win the gold, when I looked at the roster, the That's team a tough that year, them, man. That's tough year on me, man. <laughs> yeah, that team should not have lost on paper, but it was a trust issue. So what I've learned is that if you trust one another, you believe in the process, if you give it time and you stick with it, uh, you'll create an environment where people can win. And And so we went from, you know, there was a point where we had an office and we couldn't afford an office. And we went remote five years ago. And uh, we were meeting in grocery stores and libraries. There's a place called Harmon's in Utah that has an area. We were literally meeting. And I remember sitting in the chair, looking at the grocery aisle saying, I am running a business from a grocery store. <laughs> and hey, and now awesome. it seems great, but it, it was pretty scary at the time. So when times get scary, I would imagine trust might even be more important because you're making decisions that seem the stakes may have more scary implications. I want to talk about trust. I think trust is a really interesting word. I think it's kind of a fat word. Everybody says that they want it. Everybody um, talks about it. I, I, I'd like to get your take. Like, what is trust? Uh, how do you build it? And, and why is it so important? Yeah, the big thing is trust is not, it's not something that you have until proven otherwise. It, 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 it comes with time. And luckily, the people that I put around me were people that uh, I trusted before. And we put in the time. So trust is not something that you can force. You can't buy it with money. Uh, you can't buy it with charisma. Uh, it it's trial and error. It's like the scientific method. You just have to keep doing it. And eventually over time, you'll look back and say like, I trust this person. But at the end of the day, our leadership team, they're my ride and die. Whatever happens, I will be happy knowing we did it together. And that took time. And uh, so uh, the one thing I'll say about trust is you will not have it in a couple weeks or a couple months and it's okay. Uh, you can have some faith in the system and you can believe and want to trust, but it it just gets stronger and and it's not something that you complete or check off. It, it, there's a degree, there's a, a range. And uh, right now, my my trust in my team and their trust in me is is at an all all time high. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence why things have been working out the last couple of years for us. Yeah, so I think trust is is one of the three things that that elite leaders have that average ones have less of. And, um, and my experience has been trust is only built through experiences. Like you can't ask for it. Like if you do ask for it, uh, has anybody ever said to you, like, maybe you're like, Hey, Rex, trust me. How does that make you feel when someone's like, Hey, you got, you can trust me. Like you're smiling for those that don't, don't get the video. You got this big smile on your face. When someone says, Hey, you can trust me, or I need you to trust me. How does that usually make you feel? Yeah. yeah. So I want to trust them. And you want to trust people, but yeah. life has taught me over time that uh, uh, just because someone is sincere doesn't mean that they can perform. Ooh. And say uh, that again. That's a good. That's a really great insight. Will you say that again and give us a little more color on that? Yeah, just just because you're sincere doesn't mean that you can perform. And uh, and that's the same for me. There's times where I've wanted to do something for somebody. But there's some things you can't cheat. You can't become a great sales rep overnight just because you want it. Uh, you can't be a good company overnight just because you're trying really hard. Uh, hard work is an ingredient, but it won't bake the cake you know, uh, at the end of the day. So um, yeah, I, I've had people ask me and, and I tell them, I don't expect you to trust me in the beginning and you shouldn't expect me to trust you. This is something we're gonna do over time. Uh, and you take it in baby steps and, and it's okay. It's okay not to have that level of trust right off the bat. And as long as you set the expectations, right, uh, you can have good communication and, and things will work out. Any, any uh, insights that, that have been important for you as you've built these 
trusting environments and trusting relationships? Like, are there any kind of experiences? We got almost 50,000 people listening. And, and I, I know a lot of people say, oh yeah, of course, trust. But I think there's more to it than meets the eye. That's why you see me not moving off of it. I, I think trust is easy to talk about and harder to break down. When I work with leadership groups, I'll often ask them, I want everybody to write down all the synonyms they can think of for trust. And then I put them in groups of like four or five and I say, compare notes. And I want to know how many words every single person said equals trust. And most commonly, the answer is zero. Everybody had different words for trust. And, and so I'm interested in your thoughts on, how do you go a little more than talk about it? Like, I, I am convinced that it's experiences. It can only be built through experiences. But anything you would say to these leaders, here's a couple of things you ought to think about as you want to build more trusting environments. I'll give you a word that maybe you're not expecting, and it would okay. be follow-up. Uh, during my interviews and the sales reps that I've met in my life, the ones that are really good are world-class at follow-up. Uh, the presentation skills, I've seen them lacking. I've seen boring reps. I've seen exciting reps. But the one key consistency that I've seen in good reps is they're extremely good at follow-up. And what there's a guy on my team, his name's Taylor Jeffrey. Uh, we actually hired him, UVU guy at a conference or I think a hiring fair thing. And uh, this is how much I trust him. I have a system for emails that when I email people, 95% of people I email, I have a follow-up ready in case they don't come back to me. When I send things to Taylor, I can delete it. I know the checks in the mail. It's coming back to me with interest. Let's that is go. trust. And, and that's what I believe. People who follow up and deliver as good or better are the ones that you will truly trust. And the, and the people who are closest to me, not just at work in life, I trust them because I know that when we come together and we have a task, that they will do their job and I will do mine. Yeah, I like that. So if you want to start building more trust, be better at follow-up. That that shows reliability, right? That shows helpfulness. That shows commitment. I think all of those things. And the more consistency, I guess that would be one of the things I would ask. What's your thoughts around consistency as it relates to trust? Any thoughts there? Yeah, well, and that's that, that's it. Like that example I told you is the consistency. There, there, I can't think of a time that I've sent something to Taylor that he didn't, he didn't follow. There's even times I don't send anything. And he says, Hey, I have a feeling that you're going to want to know the forecast as we're coming into the final month. And he, he delivers before I even ask. And, and, and so uh, one of the things that we do in our sales training is we talk about the no look pass. And that is when a sales rep and a CS person can work so well together that they can just do no look pass. They don't even, you don't even see it coming. And they, they're jiving. It's, a, you know, we're from Utah, Stockton and Malone. Sometimes it felt like, you know, we watched the Super Bowl. You, you would throw the ball in a spot that nobody sees and the receiver gets there in that moment because the anticipation. People who trust each other can anticipate one another because of consistency. Uh, they know where they're going to be at any given time. So if you're a big football fan, Jerry Rice wasn't the most athletic wide receiver, he was the most consistent. He was always in his spots. His routes were perfect all the time. And that's why he became the best. So, so let's, let's stay in consistency for a minute and shift to a little bit. One of the things that is you've shared your story with me and we've caught up a little bit, this idea of, of commitment. I, I know that's built on trust. I know that's built on consistency. Um, you, it's, it's probably easy for people to say, well, yeah, of course, Rex, you can have consistency and commitment from people like you got this thriving deal. Like you guys are out in front leading the charge going faster every month, which is true. You are there now, but you weren't always there. Like you're, you're going fast, but there was a couple of times that you're pretty close to the edge of a cliff and you still were able to build an environment of trust and commitment and, and this environment where people were able to, to do stuff and execute. Any thoughts around creating commitment as a leader? Like, I think that's what leaders want. They got to create commitment for the people that they lead. I, I think your thoughts about how you do that. Do you need to do that? Why you do that stuff around building commitment. I'm super interested in your thoughts as a person that's been on this journey. Yeah. I, I, I believe the reason why people have stayed committed to, to consensus and to me is that they truly feel that I care about them as an individual uh, and that 
that I know where my priorities are. And so the commitment, the commitment started with me committing to them and believing in them uh, and pushing through. I my hope would be that no one on my team would ever question uh, that I have their best interest at heart. And so commitment is a hard thing to ask from somebody because there's so many commitments that we have in our life. And uh, you know, this is cliche, but it starts with the leader committing to that person. I I know I'm doing a good job when people aren't performing and I'm almost as devastated as they are as, as they are struggling if they either, we either need to coach them in or coach them out. Um, it, it is, I, I take it really seriously. Um, if someone doesn't perform, I put a lot on myself, uh, because I, I set them up to, to succeed. And if they don't, it means I either made a bad call or I, I didn't coach them well enough. That's a really healthy attitude, but it also can create some, some challenges, right? I mean, at the end of the day, other, it's a weird world because the rep has to do the work. We can't do it for them. But we have to create an environment where if they're motivated, they can succeed. And so that makes that challenge. And and uh, and so I look at that and creating that kind of commitment that these are the three C's of trust. I believe there's three C's. And that's why it's interesting that you brought that up the way you did. I think the first C of trust is your character, which I just either you have it or you don't. Um, the second C of trust is your competency, like does Rex know what he's doing kind of thing? Um, and the third C of trust is your connection. Does Rex have my best interests in mind? And if we have those things, then I think it's easier for people to say, okay, I can do this. Um, for a leader, any any advice that you give to leaders? Because I believe that that idea of creating commitment, I, I think that right now there's a weird thing happening with our, our economy, with all the layoffs that are happening and it's easy for people to say, hey, you know, a company will toss you to the side as fast as you can, every man for themselves. Any thoughts around the importance of making, like doubling down on commitment when maybe times might be in areas of flux that leaders might benefit from you? Yeah, you know, commitment is not always just a decision to say, hey, I'm going to let you go or I'm going to keep you. It's the steps that led up to that. If I was irresponsible in the way, so for example, um, we could have hired a lot faster over the last year and a half and set ourselves up for even more growth. Uh, we had experienced layoffs early on and they were very painful and we purposely grew slower so that we could mitigate the risk of making that decision. And so what I've learned is the hardest things when it comes to losing someone's commitment is, is not because you made a decision that moment. It was the poor steps leading up to it. Most people in the moment, if you ask them to do something right or wrong, they will pick the right thing. The reason why we end up doing the wrong things is because we made small little bad decisions along the way. Mm -hmm. and, and we're guilty of that too. But luckily, you know, consensus has grown the last year. We're going to continue to grow this year. And it was because we purposely made certain decisions and it played out well for us. And so in the long term, our team has given us, you know, we, we just got voted great place to work on, on that. And a lot of that was because we didn't have to make the decisions that certain people are making. And I, I pray and hope that doesn't happen for us in the future, but we're doing every precaution and we're willing to sacrifice growth, maybe even say no to advice from advisors and everything uh, because we know that people we first. want to do right by people. We want to connect people first. People first. That's unique. I think. I think that's really unique. And and when you see that, it stands out. So now I'm 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 going back and forth. I apologize. I don't like going back and forth. But again, we don't script these conversations. Jimmy said out oh, these are things we'll talk about. But now that conversation takes me back to trust, brother. Okay. So I, I love how these are all interacted and they're they're woven because trust is something everybody wants to talk about, but very few people I think have that clarity on how you build like what you just talked about so you've already talked to me about how you build it you're already talking about how important it is let's talk for a second for these leaders and i can't wait to get your take on this how how do you use trust how like you, you like you play on trust i believe that trust is the currency of any relationship be it personal or, or, or be it professional so as a leader 
do you is there like any insights around leveraging trust like how do you use it is that something that you use intentionally once you're building it do you use it in ways that you make decisions then that makes even more trust any thoughts around like leaders like we've talked about how you build it here are some ways on how you can use it wisely yeah so i believe we talked about this a little bit when we worked together was you know there's deposits and there's withdrawals we did talk about this yeah yes and uh when, when it comes to commitment and trust, uh, it's like a bank account. It, it, whatever you put in, it grows with interest and there will be a day that you have to withdraw. And there's been times in my life where I'm just the person who withdraws and I get the, I get the $30 charge for overdraw with, with the, <laughs> the overdraft fee. And uh, one of these days you're gonna try to cash the check or swipe the card. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, I have on a date <laughs> and uh, oh, wow. it was Ouch. awful. And I'll tell you this, I think that was the main driver for me getting an emergency fund was I never wanted to swipe a card again and make up an excuse why my bank screwed up my card ever again. And the same is with trust. If you overdraw on trust because you didn't deposit enough, you'll look bad doing it. So what I would say is uh, trust is not something you can draw on and, and pull it out of anywhere you need to be depositing and giving in advance uh, so that when the time comes, you can withdraw and, and not worry at all that you're going to, you know, break the bank. I like that. Um, you also lead leaders right now. Is that something that you help? Is that important? Because there's a lot of people on here that also lead leaders. And many people are here thinking about like, how do I develop my reps? Is that something that you would encourage the leaders of leaders to be really intentional about? Yes. So it, it's really changed. My, my life in the day, my day in life has changed so much. I went from three and a half, four years ago, being the only salesperson. I was a, I had the title, but really I even changed my title on my signature to just sales rep because people thought it was weird that the VP of sales was giving the demo. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and then I hired people. And then they became team leads and those team leads became managers. And, you know, Dan Hickson's one of them and yep. great guy. And one of the all time greats. Yeah. yeah and uh, just became replacement. He is, he is, he's currently our interim VP of sales. And that's over two years. He went from rep to, to there and, and is doing phenomenal. And, and what's changed is when you start leading people, it's kind of like you go from a parent to a grandparent where, uh, where, where I've never been a grandparent yet, you know, maybe in five years, maybe, um, we'll see. Uh, but, uh, you go from, I could go in and really make it hard for Dan and try to just do what I was doing, but I have to trust him and I put him in the position. And if you trust someone to put him in the position, then you trust him to make decisions. And, uh, and to sit back and watch. And so it's been really difficult as I'm learning and I've had to go to mentors to say, how do I support someone when I know I would be doing it differently? And uh, and how do I work their style in? And uh, it, it's tough. As close as me and Dan are, he does things differently. And uh, what I've learned is he's he has a pretty good batting average. When he pushes against me, and I'm like, mm, I don't know if I would do that. Almost every time it ends up being good because he fills in the gaps. Um, and, and I think it's a vulnerability thing. Like you have to accept the fact that the way that I led, that even if it led to success, that there were holes. So Rex, the, the reason I, I love what you're saying is we're not trying to develop a clone army of people exactly like you, right? And we give frameworks, we give, you know, best practices but what you want is people who will take these tools and use it in a way that's authentic and so that creates a, a really i think natural next question when you're giving people that kind of autonomy and that's based on trust like if you say i trust you and you can trust me but then you say but you better do it exactly like this that's not trusting not right trust. that's compliance instead of like trust and so I think that's a hard place for leaders is because they're like, this is what good looks like. And, and what good looks like is something that's that's always associated with success. So that's a really interesting juxtapose. Good looks like this, but I want to give you trust. So here's my question. 
how do you create an environment where it's safe to fail sometimes versus this place where like it's fail safe. You do this this way. This is the script. This is the whatever. Do whatever. Safe to fail versus fail safe. You're nodding your head. You're getting that smile going again. Yeah. Like thoughts on that. So one of my favorite interviews, and I can't remember exactly when it was, the guy behind you in that book, Kobe Bryant, uh, someone on his team shot zero for nine. And they asked him, you know, when you get new shooting slumps, what would you do if you were 0 with nine, you know, to end the game? And he said, I would rather be O of 29 than O of nine. And, and what he was saying was, you, know, you got to believe and you just have to keep going and, and you just don't stop. Uh, and, and so like in sports, one of the things that I love seeing is sometimes a coach will call a play and the player will see different and they'll wave the playoff. Or you remember like Peyton Manning would call an audible yep. and, and, and you have to trust the player enough because the person on the field is the one that really sees it all, knows their body, knows what's going on. And uh, I've accepted that when I, when I put people into their roles, I am, I give them the ability to call the audible and wave me off. And, and whether it fails or not, we, we did it together. And, and that's, that's what, one of the things you do is you relinquish that you, you're get, if you really want the team to trust them and to look at them as the leader, um, you got to let them fail and, and not just let them fail. It has to be mandatory. And the reason I brought up the O of nine and the O of 29 yeah. is I've seen, uh, I've seen coaches when they see a player shoot 12 of 14 in a game, get disappointed because that person should have shot more. If you're shooting that well, you should keep shooting. You should never, you, you would never see like a Shaq shoot six of eight in a game. He, if he was shooting that well, they would keep throwing it down in the post over and over and over again. And, and Rex, so, keep these basketball references coming, man. You're speaking yeah. my language, brother. Um, I, I, I love that. I want to talk about something that you said, and then you kept going, but I put a pin down. I want to go back to it like about four sentences ago. This idea, you give them the ability to call the audible, and then sometimes you'll win, and that's great, and sometimes you'll lose. Also, okay. Because you mentioned something that I want to talk about, that you come back and you talk about it. You review why the audible was called. And I I, I, I want to make sure I understand this. Like, I think as I listen to you, why the audible is called is its own conversation. And the why it worked or did not work is a different conversation. Is is that right? 100%, regardless of the outcome, whether the yeah. pass is completed or not, uh, you go back and look at that and you go look and, and you ask, why did you make that decision? You, you know that we love basketball. There's another, there's, if you go YouTube it, go look at the play where Jeremy Lin calls off Kobe Bryant. I know the play. Yeah. And Kobe could have just ripped him a new one. He's the star. He, it's his city. But if you go look and you watch after he goes up behind him, asks him why, corrects him, pats him on the back and says, okay, let's go. Because he he said, you know what? You had the ball. I wouldn't have done that. And he separated the outcome from the decision-making because it's very different. Does the same thing apply on maybe now I'm, I'm taking this another level. And if I'm going too far, I want you to tell me, I want you to say like Lee Corso and not so fast, my friend. Okay. Um, do you also have in these reviews sometimes say, why didn't you call an audible? This would have been a good time for an audible. Like, does that help promote this? safe to fail kind of environment like hey this would have been a good time i you know glad you followed the script but this would have been a good time is, is that part of it yes so so i have uh leaders that i work with that are very different some that will very rarely call an audible they stick to the script and yeah. then ones that probably call them to they, they leave the script too often and and you have to know your player you have to know your teammate and um yeah there's times where uh, there's times where you're on a call and the script says to do this, but if they show certain buying signals, you can skip things. You can you can push back through that because because most of the time we create plans, and most of the time it never goes to plan. But you have to have the plan as a baseline. I've always looked at plans as baselines so that you know where to come back to and you can orient yourself. Um, and uh, that that is the main thing is if you don't have a baseline, just like with reporting and analytics and everything, the numbers don't mean anything. 
And, uh, you know, I, t I have nieces and nephews that tell me about these software companies and they tell me, I want to take this job because they gave me 10,000 shares. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And they don't know. And, and it's, if you don't have a baseline of what one share means, is it one cent or is it a hundred dollars a share? Um, the same thing is with uh, when, when you're creating plays, you have to know the baseline that you're working off. What were, what was going on? What was the context? Um, and yeah, there are times when I wish people would have called an audible. I, I, I go through their recordings. I used to be on every call. Now I can't. And so I go back through the recordings and I'm like, man, they followed exactly what I told them normally to do, but they didn't, they didn't adapt in the moment and, and ended up maybe pushing the deal out or making it more complex. So the reason that I love all this, I, I, Dude, I got like a page and a half of notes here, okay? And um, and as I take down everything you're saying, there's a couple things that are like really coming clear to me right now. In order to do everything you've talked about, like what have we talked about? We've talked about trust. We've talked about commitment. Um, we've talked about the ability to call audibles um, and, and it's safe to fail uh, and then break down afterwards why we did and why we didn't. Having a baseline, I, you remind me, I, I think it's Mike Tyson that said everybody has a, plan until you get punched in the in the nose or the mouth or whatever and i've heard some people use that to as a reason to just show up and wing it which i don't think that's the point of that you know have a plan and then once you get punched in the mouth know how to call audibles which is a whole nother episode for you and me to have sometime um but here's where i'm going with this like you got to know your people, man. Like at the end of the day, you can't have trust unless you know them. They're not going to trust you unless you know them. You can't create any of the things we talked about. It's like knowing your people. Now that may sound like oversimplification, but I've always been a fan of fundamentals first. And um, I think that if there was ever a time that it's important to focus on the person and not just the salesperson, it's now. Um, thought, am I, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think it goes back to the trust and consistency thing is there are times where you'll get punched in the face and there's a couple things that you need to have is you have to have muscle memory or I'd call it sales muscle memory that when things get frazzled or they go the way that you don't think that they are is that you've done enough training and practice that you you can come out of it as you're trying to come to. You know, we, we, we talked about this before. Yeah, we're big UFC fans. I always respect the guy that when they get rocked, they have enough training that they're just going off of instinct and muscle memory and that they can, they can recover. Everyone gets punched once in a while in days. And so everything that you planned goes out the window, but if you stick to the, your tactics and the things that you know, you can, you can recover from that. And then the other thing is when you're playing with teammates, when it's a team sport is it's that consistency, the speed of trust do are the people going to be in the spots so, you know, you see it in sports all the time. Someone's getting crowded and they'll throw the ball in a certain spot. And the guy that's always going to be there is there. And uh, that takes time. And uh, luckily for us, we've been in some really bad spots. But the people that I'm with, they always tend to be there for me uh, when I get disoriented. I really like this conversation, Rex. I knew I was going to love kind of Rex Galbraith unplugged. I'm liking it even more than I thought, man. Uh, Clapton's got nothing on you, brother. Um, there's one other element that we have talked about that I know was important for you, and it fits to what we've talked about. I'm looking at it just like our talking points. Um, we mentioned this, that you know we're not just looking for compliance. We're not just looking for do it this way, uh, just you know push play salespeople is what I call them. We're not looking for clones and push play salespeople or sales leaders. So you, one of the things you mentioned, I really like this concept of disagree and then commit versus just being compliant. Um, it occurs to me, I'll let you, I want you to, to share what that is to our audience. This idea of you're not creating yes people. You're not creating people that are just like, going to just say yes to whatever Rex says. What you do want to build is commitment to the company uh, and its overall success. Talk a bit about that. It's okay to disagree with each other so long as we commit to each other when we're done. So Garen Hess, who's the founder, CEO, Consensus, mentor. Yes, he's a good businessman. Yes, he's built two successful businesses. I respect him as a person more than I respect him as a business person. 
And uh, when we first started, he had us read a book called Patrick Lencioni, I think is his last name, called The Advantage. And he has this, this concept called disagree but commit, where you, you create an environment where disagreeing is okay. Uh, even if, you know, we've had our runs, we've had our rubs, and, it's, and we've had to grind things out. But the one thing that we've always decided is that once a decision's been made, whether Garen makes it from a democratic perspective where we vote or he just says, I'm making the decision, we've always locked in. And it's not just a commit like, I'm just going to relinquish my ability to have an opinion. It's I am fully in. I'm fully in. I accept it. it you'll hear it in my attitude and my voice. My team isn't going to hear. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, when we first started Consensus, we believed that our market was SMB. Uh, and what we started seeing is that enterprise companies loved us. It was a very scary thing that we had to change the software to be more complex and to just say, hey, we're, we're switching to enterprise. And there were people who disagreed. There was a ton of, this didn't happen in one day. But when we, when Garen said, we are making the switch, there were some people who said, this could be the undoing. This is when our two wheels were on the side and we, Let's were, go. we were having lunch at a grocery store and, uh, and we went in and we followed it. And that has been one of the biggest payoffs. And, uh, and, and there's been times where we've disagreed and committed and we failed. And then we pivoted again. And so um, it's not about always the outcome. It's are you guys rowing in the same direction at the same time? And uh, yeah, so the one thing is you got to create an environment where people can disagree. If you're not hearing disagreement in your meetings, you're not having an effective meeting. It's probably just an echo chamber. It probably means it's not safe. That goes back to this safety. We actually, we didn't call it that, but like the whole concept of psychological and emotional safety, but also professional safety is really important, I think, for a leader. Uh, any thoughts on that? Because I think that supports this whole topic. Yeah, so it, to me, it's it's this, um, people have to see each other vulnerable where they've seen, they, they have to know that they're, they're not perfect. Um, because, you know, when people have joined the company, sometimes they're like, hey, Rex has closed these deals and has done these things. So he knows. And I'm like, in two years, you will know more about selling than than I will. And I did. And 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 also I tell them about my mistakes uh, and I lead that way. And, and I'm very upfront when I make a bad decision. And I don't look at that as, hey, you're not adequate anymore. And I and we celebrate losses as long as they show their path to recovery and then they're not failing at the same thing. Fail, but make sure you're not failing at the same thing. You know, correct, and then go fail at something else. Well, say that, I like it. Let's say that's sitting there. I don't want to just go by it. So it's okay to fail as long as you don't keep failing at the same thing over and over. Like make a mistake once, make it twice, but don't keep making it. Like we got we to gotta identify it. So that's what you're talking about. It's not like, oh, I'll just keep where I am. No, failure is part of growth is what you're saying. So long as you're growing. Yeah, it, it's okay to fail at something new. Um, and it goes back to that thing of Kobe shooting zero of nine or zero of 20. If you're shooting 100%, you're probably not shooting difficult enough shots. And and so you once you start shooting 180%, like we, we talk about, um, we always are trying to calculate the right ratio of how many leads we let in and what our ICP is and what our close rate is. And so we, if I wanted, there are people say, hey, industry best is 30% close rate. I could get to a 30% close rate. I just won't accept the lead until they're like ready to sign on the dotted line. Um, right. Or if I want my close rate to drop, but I want the lead flow to increase, we have a number where we believe is the right amount of winning. And we try to adjust to that. And then we try to get a little bit better. If our winning goes up, I don't always think of that as a good thing. It may mean that we're probably saying no to deals and leads that should be coming in. So just because it's going up doesn't mean it's doing it for the right reason. Cause you can have a good shooting night and you see this in sports all the time and they still lose. And it's, and it's because they probably weren't doing the, the more difficult tasks they should have been doing. I like this a lot. I can't believe we're down to our last three or four minutes, dude. I, I knew it was going to go fast. This has been so cool. 
Um, what I think I want to do is get push pause for a second, give give you a chance to tell our listeners how to get more of you and consensus, et cetera. And then I'm going to give you a chance to have like a couple final thoughts that you give to uh, worldwide listener base uh, to wrap this conversation up. So, so, so let's let's do that first. How, how do people get more of you? How do they learn more about consensus? There's probably a lot of people are going to be saying, "I'm interested to see." Like, I would imagine shortening cycle time by over sixty percent is interesting to tons of people. Um, how do they get more of Rex? How do they get more of consensus? How do they find your content? All of that. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. I post a lot about what we're doing. GoConsensus.com is our website. The great thing about fact, our software, oh, go ahead. you're having an event you should tell everybody about. You should tell everybody about your event that's coming up too. So May 25th to May 28th, we have something called Demo Fest. It's the largest uh, pre-sales conference in the world. Uh, and we had 5,000 people sign up last year. We're expecting more. And we invite sales leaders to come as well. The reason why, I'll give you the pitch. This is why sales leaders sh should listen to what we're doing, is 18 to 25 business days of your sell cycle is within your control to reduce. And that is, is it takes on average about three demos to get a deal done, formal demos. Sometimes it's 50, but average three. Yeah. The average time it takes from the time a salesperson requests one to the time they get one is five to seven business days. So that's 15 to 21 business days that you're waiting. Our software gives people what is called a choose your own adventure demo. If you've ever read the choose your own adventure books. I remember them well or like a Bandersnatch video on Netflix, you get to choose. And we give you just a trailer, just enough to get you excited and you can, or not excited about what we have to offer. And then that's when we come in. So you can learn more about us from an arm's length. And then we have incredible analytics that track everything you're doing and how your interest compares to your peers. And then we follow up with context. So we know your persona, we know your interests. And so what I would say is if, your demos are like most people where 50% of them are wasted or unqualified. You can automate that process through what we have to offer. Uh, and if you have a pre-sales team that is just suffering and can't keep up with the workload, that's where we can come in and help. So anything demo related, we would love to help. Um, but if not, I'm always, I'm a, I'm a book nerd. I love to talk about books. I love to just learn. And so I'm, I'm open to do non-consensus discussions anytime as well. We'll put a link to your event and uh, in the show notes, and and maybe we'll have a few people show up there. We're down to our last couple of minutes. It's been amazing. First of all, congrats, uh, Rex. I love seeing the good guys engineer great stories, and like you didn't just work hard and got lucky. Like I want to say that loud and clear. You engineered a lot of things intentionally. Okay, so congrats. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts to? about 50,000 people that are all in different stages of sales leadership and sales, like thoughts to them around creating environments where people can thrive rather than just survive. So we're in an interesting time now where we went from complete expansion to complete contraction, from hiring to laying off, um, from tech stack growth to tech growth consolidation. Holes are going to appear. And we can fill those. And while your message doesn't have to change, uh, you need to anticipate these changes. Um, we just had a conference where we, where I showed a video to the team of Andre Agassi, uh, where he was able to predict someone's serve by the direction their tongue came out when they were getting ready to throw the ball up. And it wasn't until after they retired that he told this server that he could anticipate it. And what he learned was that if, if you can find and keep your eyes open for opportunities and you can anticipate the changes that people will make, uh, they will. your competitors will almost think like you're reading their mind. Um, and so you have the opportunity to change the way you're doing things. The, the tactics of two years ago will have very little results for today. And uh, so I, what I would just say, my message would be, Learn to anticipate, watch for the signs because there's going to be a ton of them over the next 12 months. And those that do uh, are going to see, a, they may even thrive in this environment rather than just survive it. Awesome, Rex. His name is Rex Galbraith. He's the 
Chief Revenue Officer for the number one pre-sales software company in the world. One of the great success stories you'll ever have the chance to come across. Not a happy accident. He's done it by building an organization where people can throw no-look passes to each other. He's done it by creating an environment where people can call audibles and do it with confidence. He's done it by creating an environment where they break it down and they and they learn from it and they don't keep doing the same thing twice. They continue to evolve. They continue to grow. And as a result, it's created commitment. It's created trust. It's created consistency. Uh, my advice, go back and listen to this one again. My advice, connect with Rex. Uh, find ways to continue to learn from them. And my overall message would be, find ways to create those same traits in the organizations you lead. Rex, you're a beast. Thank you for joining me. It's so great to reconnect with you. And as I say to everybody, happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. It was fun. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. It's 2023. And to achieve 2023 performance, you are going to need 2023 systems. Don't use systems from the 2020s or from 2021 or even 2022. I think there's at least 12 systems every sales leader needs to keep current, and that's not easy. That's why having access to the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world will be so important. Think of Sales Leadership United as a Home Depot for sales leaders. There's everything you need to take your sales leadership game up and create elite impact with those you lead. I'm talking about sales leadership systems, sales leadership meeting systems, sales coaching systems, sales recruiting systems, sales forecasting systems, deal coaching systems, mindset coaching systems, all kinds of proven frameworks that are ready for you to use immediately and make your own. Video insights from this episode with Rex and dozens of others of elite sales leaders worldwide, a private podcast for members only, and weekly updates on what I'm seeing other sales leaders use and do to create elites impact with the teams they lead. People join Sales Leadership United because of the depth of the sales leadership assets, but they stay because the tools remain so current, so relevant, and so immediately applicable. So don't reinvent sales leadership and don't get stale holding on to the systems and tools of the past. Listen, you don't want to get old. And by that, I mean, you don't want to get stale. So find Sales Leadership United on Patreon. And for less than the cost of lunch, you can invest in yourself in a way that will supercharge your sales leadership journey. Tap into the tools, the trainings, and the techniques by used by some of the most successful sales leaders in the world. And check out Sales Leadership United today. Now back to Rex. I loved that conversation with Rex, but I got to be honest, I've known Rex for a few years now and I'm biased because I will always love seeing the good people end up doing really, really well. And that's exactly what's help happening to Rex and the consensus team. Rex is one of the best people I've ever met in any circumstance. He's gone through some challenges and he's provided rock solid leadership and is a huge reason why consensus is doing so well right now. And along the way, his leadership has attracted some incredible members of an outstanding sales team. I know because I know many of them. And when you combine a good product with great leaders and members of the team, success is going to happen. So I'm pumped for Rex and for every single member of the Consensus team. And to my 50,000 li listeners, I hope you check Consensus out because you'll be glad you did. And if you've been listening to the show for long, you know I don't endorse often, but I am now. So let's get back to the conversation I just finished with Rex. I love how he started. He said, winning fixes all problems. And it's true. Sales solves almost every single problem a business has. There's a couple that it won't solve with all, with all due respect to you, uh, Rex, but it solves dang near all of them. Okay. And Rex just shared a masterclass on creating experiences that lead to wins. I've gone back and listened to this conversation a couple of times, and that's what I think this conversation comes down to. It's creating experiences that will ultimately create winning experiences. So let's just call it creating winning experiences. What am I talking about? I'm talking about experiences that create trust. He spent a lot of time talking about trust, experiences that create consistency. He talked about that for a while. You know, I love that Rex says trust is not something you have until proven otherwise. It isn't bought. It's only earned. It doesn't come quick. 
that comes with experiences deliver with consistency that will build the kind of trust I'm talking about. He's talking about experiences that build commitment. He's talking about experiences that make it safe to iterate and to ideate. He's talking about experiences that make it safe, psychologically safe, emotionally safe, professionally safe. These kinds of experiences are the ones that make you willing to actually choose growth and to ultimately develop new standards. And when we make that decision to choose growth rather than settle for talent, remember, talent's a gift and growth is a choice. If you can be a leader that makes it safe to make that choice and do it over and over and over again, then all of these experiences that Rex talked about and I just summarized they're going to be the things that add up to winning. And I'm not talking about just winning enough to stay alive. I'm talking about winning a lot that turns heads and makes big things happen. My advice, keep your eye on consensus. I got a feeling that big things are going to continue to come out of consensus. Because the more you win, the more it becomes possible to win. Because momentum is a very real thing for a sales leader. I believe it might be a sales leader's best friend. So create the experiences that build the momentum that becomes so attractive. When you say attractive to who, what are you talking about, Rob? I'm talking about attractive to your existing customers. I'm talking about attractive to your potential customers. I'm talking about attractive to your employees and your team members. I'm talking about being attractive to those members that you want to hire to bring on board. Because the more you do, the more you can do. Don't ever forget that. The more you do, the more you can do. And winning, it comes from a kind of trust and that kind of environment that Rex just discussed. Rex opened up and showed the blueprint that got consensus there. It's the very same set of experiences that will help you as you choose growth over talent as well. So I want to remind you that winning is contagious and it solves almost every problem a company faces. So I'll finish by channeling my inner Al Davis with his statement that he made with the Raiders. Just win, baby, win. Uh, Snoop Dogg had a little fun with that as well, doing a, doing a song that you may have heard of with DJ Khaled. So just win, baby, win. But I'm going to add what Rex would add. Rex is probably listening to this and cringing as I say it because Rex would add, you got to win, but you got to do it the right way. Uh, and Rex would be 100% right. This is how I want to finish. If you are still one of those sales leaders that has the growth at all cost mindset, get rid of it because I don't think Rex has ever had it. And as a result, consensus is having the kind of growth other orgs only wish they had. At a time where so many are having cutbacks and trying to figure out how to make it, consensus is charging through and growing because they've been doing it the right way. So Rex, Thank you so much for joining me. This was an awesome episode and a timely episode. I love your energy. I love your insights. I love your philosophy. Winning is important. It matters a lot, but you're not going to do it profitably, repeatedly, or predictably unless you do it the right way like Rex does. So Rex, thank you. You've given us some rock solid insights. They're going to help teams all around the world win. Thank you for your willingness to share. Thank you for helping sales leaders everywhere get just a little better. My advice to every one of you that's listening to this episode, connect with Rex, reach out to him, follow him. He delivers some great insights to sales leaders and salespeople on a regular basis. Check out Consensus. Go find out why so many teams trust and rely on the Consensus solution. I think you'll be blown away. I've put the links in the show notes to make it easy for you to get everything Rex and consensus can give you in your sales leadership journey. And then be sure to check out Sales Leadership United so you can get the video segments of the highlights of my conversation with Rex and so many other fantastic sales leaders. You're going to want to use those, those, those videos for sure. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment I ever get is when you share the show with those you work with. Introduce people to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Keep making mentions on your social networks. Keep leaving those five-star reviews, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head over to Patreon and check it out. I promise you'll be glad you did. Thank you so much for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people you lead. And if you like this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it. And then get after it this week, because life is short. You've got no guarantee of what will come tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite, live strong, and chase your passions. Do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget that you got this, and I got you. Have a terrific week. 
Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.